If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is returning guest Daisy Strongen, nay Shadra, who identified as a boy for a period of time and underwent top surgery and hormone replacement therapy, and then detransitioned because it was not the authentic life for her. In this conversation, we review where she's been over the past 10 years or so and how she went from trans man to detransitioner to trad Catholic. And in keeping with the other two conversations that we've had, this is a mix of introspection and religious inquiry. And I really appreciate the chance to be able to chart her growth over the last few years from somebody who is worried about her identity to now a mother of almost two. Daisy has a YouTube channel and a Twitter account, and those will be linked down there in the description for you to peruse. Without further ado, here is Daisy Strongen. Hello. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. I'm like nervous all of a sudden. Oh, really? Yeah. It's just me. (laughs) I know, but... I always end up oversharing in your interviews with me. I know. That's a big problem people have with me. (laughs) (laughs) And I always get accused of navel gazing, but like your questions often lead to that kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 But it's, I think it's a good thing. Well, I, I enjoy it and I have the audience for it. When was the last media appearance before this one? Was that the... Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> this is going to have nowhere near the exposure. Oh, I know that. <laughs> okay. No, I went to, um, I got like invited to a gala over it. Like that was oh. a big deal. And, and obviously the ad campaign, $1 million buyout, which I had no idea they were going to do. <laughs> um, but that left me like, I was like kind of scared to go in public for a couple days. Yeah, the uh, vitriol aimed at you was pretty tremendous, if not terrifying. I mean, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, to be honest, it wasn't like it was just a lot of misinformation. And, you know, again, I think it comes from me like oversharing and being a little bit too honest about things that go on in my head um and people basically just saying like oh like he is clearly still trans um because he's sad and he's sad posting (laughs) um and that's obviously 
it's he's still trans and he has really trauma um that's what i was mostly what i got back and then of course people being angry at me for like um you know trying to did like bring attention to detransitioners existing so so i know that for certain people in this um in the trans frame of mind they go out of their way at least you see on reddit or online they go out of the way to try to discover more and more markers of what it is to be really trans and it can get really out there and so what you were saying is that being sad on the internet and talking about sadness in relationship to, I guess, maybe in relationship to gender or in relationship to life itself is a marker that you're trans? Yeah. I mean, I tweeted something or I posted something on X like months ago when I was not in a good place and, you know, probably shouldn't have like gone to X over it. But I basically said that like, you know, I don't want certain conservatives to hear my story and think that I just like don't have any issues anymore. Like I still struggle with depression and like, I still have feelings of like fantasies of wanting to be a boy, but I really should have clarified that that's, not that's pretty separate from the depressive episodes honestly those are just kind of like surface level fleeting thoughts um and yeah like that is true you know i'm not going to deny that um and i would also venture to guess that a lot of detransitioners still um experience that or maybe they don't um but Basically, people heard that and they were like, oh, like, obviously still trans. And it's just, it's just crazy. Like, there are, yeah. it's so easy to identify yourself as trans. Like, if you ever have a fantasy about being the opposite gender, which, you know, trans people will say like, well, cis people don't do that. It's like, yeah, they do, because there's no such thing as trans or cis people. And it's just people can have thoughts about anything. And it doesn't mean anything about like your soul or or like anything concrete in your brain that like needs to be treated at it as if it's like, you know, a, how a tumor needs to be treated for cancer. Like people literally act like that. Um, yeah. Like it's very much they try to make it such a life or death a uh, life or death thing, but, um, yeah, it was pretty upsetting at first, but then after a few days, I was like, this isn't gonna, people are going to forget about this. And like, I don't really, doesn't really affect my life at the end of the day. If people think that I'm like a closeted trans man, like, I just don't believe that that's even a thing. So when we first spoke this is our third time speaking. The first time we spoke, we kind of, I think we talked a lot about your transition, detransition. The second time we talked about your spirituality and your turn towards religion. Yeah. Um, so that was like 
if I remember correctly, the second time we talked, I think actually the first time we talked, we talked more about religion and spirituality and the detransition, obviously, because it, it was very early on. But the second time, I think we talked more about like married life because the second time I was like six weeks pregnant with uh, Gabriel and I don't think I was, I was not religious at that time. Um, but maybe we talked about it. That you weren't religious in the second time we spoke? Yeah, because I remember I was six weeks pregnant. So that means it must have been like December, like two Decembers ago. And I had just gotten married and we had a very like secular ceremony because I wasn't, yeah, I don't think I labeled myself as anything. And then the first time we talked, I'm pretty sure we talked, I'm pretty sure I was like, evangelical hmm. yeah yeah and now i'm catholic okay and they're catholic. i know how it looks it's like <laughs> oh what's next but <laughs> no for real I'm, I'm for real catholic yeah well how old are you then just i'm 25 okay yeah there's a lot yeah. of changes that happen as one kind of comes into adulthood Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, ever since I detransitioned, there's just been kind of a crazy amount of changes in my life, including just like, you know, dating someone and like getting married relatively quickly. And then, oh, 10 days later, you're pregnant, hmm. you have a baby. And then, oh, nine months after that, you're pregnant again. It's like, I just, I don't know. I think after this baby, I'm going to like, I need a break. Like, just well, I mean, all... you are Catholic, so I don't think the whole childbearing thing is out of the question, one after another. Well, yeah, that's a definitely a struggle that I've had with being Catholic hmm. because, you know, we can't use, you can't use any form of birth control. So, yeah, you kind of have to just like, if you don't want any more kids, you kind of have to just like be chased, which in a marriage can, you know, isn't the best, but <laughs> yeah. But isn't that just being a mother and, you know, thinking consciously about fertility and, you know, I mean, going through the whole process of being pregnant, having a baby, yeah. nursing a baby, uh, raising a child now. Isn't that such a stark contrast to go from a trans boy to a detransitioner to a mother? Like what that is the plot arc of the century. It really is. Um, it really is. I don't even like to think of the life that I was living before. It was just like all for myself. And I was just kind of like, I was very aimless and now, you know, having a mother or having a child, um, will make you not aimless. Like I've always kind of struggled in my, you know, adolescence and teenagerhood and young adulthood with being just with, with being aimless and being like, I don't know, I don't really want a career. Like, I don't know about family, you know, cause I'm doing this trans thing, but the trans thing, like 
isn't really sustainable. So I don't know what that means, but now I'm just like being a wife and a mother, like that's, that's my identity. Um, hmm. at least right now with having very small children, cause that is the most, that's the most all consuming thing that someone can do really. Um, yeah. but it's been, it's been wonderful. It's been so challenging, um, in the best way. And like, I just, I just don't want like 10 kids, you know, cause in a strange way, like, so I had top surgery, um, when I was 20 and in a strange way that actually makes me more fertile. Um, and so that's because whenever I have babies, the hormones that come in for uh, lactating, they don't come in for me. So that same hormone, I'm, I'm not explaining this very well, but I think that I get same what hormone you're... That, I don't know yeah. what it's called, but that same hormone that comes in for lactation is what keeps a woman from ovulating for like six months to a year after pregnancy. And that's why like, you know, even couples who are like not using any form of birth control, usually their kids are like two years apart. Um, but like my body doesn't really get a break from ovulation after mm. I give birth. So I basically, you know, I'm just as, as far as I understand, I'm like just as fertile as I was before pregnancy immediately after. So that's why, at least that's why I think I, these two babies are pretty close together. Mm -hmm. Um, and then before that, I actually like two months before I got pregnant with this baby, I got pregnant, but I ended up miscarrying. Um, so, and that was just like, yeah. So <laughs> I am, I was worried about fertility. Uh, I'm not worried about fertility anymore. Like I can have, I can have babies, like, not, you know, maybe too many babies. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Transition made you a superwoman somehow in, in certain respects. Yeah. I mean, I can't nurse my baby, so that kind of sucks, but like, you know, we use good formula and it, it worked just fine hmm. with my son. So was your transition rooted in uh body dysphoria much or to what degree was it about mm. your female form? um no not at the very beginning it was just more as i got sucked into it and more like devoted to the identity like you know yeah. almost religious way um that's when i started to have problems with my body because um i just became so obsessed with the idea of me as a guy that my you know my breasts and my voice and um just everything about me that was female became problematic but what initially caused me to question my gender was um kind of just having like it was kind of just like childhood fantasy gone awry to be honest like hmm. I I always had fantasies about being a boy from the time I was like four years old. 
don't ask me why that is. I don't know. Um, was it was it but, rooted in what boys could do, what you couldn't do, or what boys wanted to do and you wanted what, to do? Like what boys were like. Um, hmm. And the fact that in elementary school, I got along a lot better with boys. I felt like I could relate to them better. Whenever I would watch, you know, TV or movies, I always like really resonated with the male characters. I never like wanted to be a princess, even like a, like a warrior princess or like a, you know, more heroic, I guess you could say masculine female protagonist. I just didn't relate to that either. Um, and you know, that like, that just like carried on for a really long time. Um, eighth grade is when I really was like, I want to look like a boy. So I cut my hair really short and I would like wear boys clothes. And, um, I tried to emulate like male celebrities that. Yeah. I like liked. influencers, like, uh, kind of like femboy kind of thing. Like was the aesthetic kind of no, the pretty like boy or like, no, it was like, well, in eighth grade, it was kind of like, a like a, a ghetto rapper type of persona. Like, I don't care about anything or anyone. Like, I was obsessed. I had a big Eminem phase in eighth grade. I was grade. just going to say you have a slight kind of Eminem kind of. Yeah, no, I I loved Eminem. Um, I loved his music, and I just really liked his vibe, and I really wanted to emulate it because I wanted to give off a vibe of, like, you know, I'm mysterious. I don't care, like, I don't care, irreverent, but also like funny. Um, and to me, that was just like, that was a very male thing to me. Like, I know, you know, females can have any type of personality too, but I've always had a very like binary view of gender. Yeah. So have you, um, were you able to pull off being the class clown in eighth grade, ninth grade? No, no one liked me. Oh no. <laughs> no, it that that trying to be a boy in 8th grade in, you know, 2012 did not make me popular. Um and then in ninth grade I was like, okay, well that didn't work. I'm going to go back to being feminine. And then sophomore junior year I went back, like I went back and forth a lot. So hmm. yeah, and eventually I was just like, what the hell's wrong with me? Like, why do I why do I have all the, why does gender matter so much to me? Why does my gender presentation keep changing? Like, who am I? What does this mean? Does this mean I'm a lesbian? No, because I like boys. And, you know, eventually I was, came I you know, spending, I was spending a lot of time on Tumblr and mm. like a lot of time, <laughs> like an unhealthy amount of time. And I came across the term genderqueer which, because I had heard of like transgender before, but I, it was still very taboo at the time. Um, so I was like, oh, definitely not going to do anything crazy like that. Um, but then the word genderqueer was kind of like, oh, you're in between, you know, like you're neither male or female or you're both or it, your gender changes. And I'm like, oh yeah, like my gender expression changes all the time. Like sometimes I feel feminine. Sometimes I want to be masculine. Yeah. That's clearly what I am. And at first it was literally just about like 
expression and clothing and just like surface level things. Yeah. Um, but I also held it sort of as an identity, but I didn't even change my pronouns. I just kind of considered myself that. And um, did that help you integrate all these different motivations or feelings, states of being maybe? Um, I mean, I guess it just gave me a, it just gave me a label. Like I've always felt like I need labels, especially when I was younger and like coming of age. And yeah. that just, if anything, it kind of like put my mind at ease that like, okay, that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. This is a real thing. Other people feel this way. You're not alone. Like that was huge for me. Were you so, able to be connected more to people by having this? Or did it just make you feel like you're not alone in an abstract sense? Um, like you're not totally unique or isolated. People on the internet and a little bit later when I came out as trans, um, I actually had like a group of trans friends and this was like senior year of high school. So 2015, not only did I have the like more abstract sense of belonging in the world and having these feelings and knowing that it's okay. And other people have it now. I actually like, now it actually is helping me socially. Cause you know, I was never making friends has never come naturally to me. Um, you know, I've always had like, a couple friends here and the here and there, but now I have like a group of friends where we all share the same like values and like have this. We seem to have this shared, very intimate experience of mm. gender stuff and just Were LGBTQ they female? stuff. Female friends, mostly yes. Yeah. Um, and this is what year is this about? Um, 2015. Yeah. So this is kind of the underlying um, inspiration for Lisa Littman's social contagion hypothesis. This rapid onset gender identity or ROG. Yeah. Yeah. The identity was definitely rapid onset. But the thing that wasn't rapid onset was the feelings of wanting to be a boy. Yeah. That's why I did it. Like, I mean, there were a lot of reasons why I did it, but yeah. just the, the narrative of like, I've felt this way since I was a little kid. It's been consistent throughout my whole life. Um, I really related to that. But on the other hand, I was like, well, you know, I really don't hate my boobs that much. Like I'm pretty indifferent about them. At least that's how I felt at first. But then, you know, you learn about what it means to be trans and it means binding, going on testosterone, doing everything you can to like pass and hmm. um, passing became very, very important to me. I had to bind my chest every single day. And so then well, I was like, man, I can't wait that, for top surgery. There's something kind of like, like the, the kind of just the air or the hint of a ritual to this and i wonder if ritual like 
like in now that you're a Catholic, you've found a place where your your desire for ritual is articulated yeah. and and whole, whereas transition kind of hijacked maybe an innate desire for you to have yeah. ritual in your life. I'm I'm just wondering. Yeah. I mean, I never really thought about it as a ritual. It was more of just like what I had to do every day slash every week to um, make people think that I was someone else. So, and then I guess with the Catholic ritual, which is, you know, it going to mass every Sunday, but also just having a consistent prayer routine it is harder to keep up with because it's not about me. It's about, it's about God and about having a relationship with him. And, you know, you're not sure if your prayers are getting through or if you're Catholic, you know, you're not sure, especially if you're a Catholic who is a former Protestant, you're not really sure deep in your heart if like, Mary can help you or if the saints can help you, uh, but you try it anyway. Um, whereas with the trans thing, it's like you get results fast, <laughs> maybe not fast, but like you guaranteed to get results. Um, and again, it's just, it's all about, it's very, it's a very self-centered ritual, if you will. Yeah. So there's this dual thing when you're in a senior year. So you said that this, the transition fixation was about yourself, maybe narcissistic. I don't know if you mm -hmm. prefer that term or not. I'm kind of I would say that. Yeah. The term. But you also were able to connect with people and have like kind of a shared rumination about the trans experience in person. Yeah. 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 And I just, I felt comfortable around those people because I felt understood. Like not only did we have the same, I mean, not exactly the same, but not only were we all trans or non-binary or, you know, just queer in some way, like we all kind of had the same sense of humor. Um, like, really? yeah, yeah. I have found that a lot of the people in the trans community have like kind of similar senses of humor like it's kind of dark and um absurdist um so just similar personalities in general but yeah i just felt very comfortable and understood by them and i knew that they weren't going to like judge me based off of my gender expression because i didn't really feel that comfortable talking to girls or like, you know, the more feminine girls. Cause I always just assumed that they would think that I was like a freak or they would assume that I was like a lesbian because I looked like a lesbian and you know, that, that I was going to come on to them. Like I just, I was extremely insecure. I have no idea if anyone thought that about me, but hmm. I was very insecure. <laughs> you know, there's um, a lot of people are throwing out theories about what makes somebody susceptible to a trans identity. And one would be uh, kind of a sexuality hypothesis, which it's really difficult to categorize with females having like auto uh, 
Andro- Autoandrophilia. Yeah. That's, it, female sexuality is still a, a weird kind of box because it's really fluid and, and not as... It's, uh, it's complicated. Yeah. yeah. It's not um, as like males have very t- fixed targets, as they say. Yeah. That's why it's it's easier to diagnose autogynophilia. Yeah. Um, but... And also Asperger's or autism is much easier to diagnose in males than females. But when, and so I want to say that the fixation on categories is problematic itself, but listening to your story and hearing and being immersed in this topic, you can hear, I can hear people saying, well, she's got autoandrophilia. Maybe she's got some form of Asperger's. I don't know if those categories help you at all, or that like that analysis helps you at all. Yeah. I have wondered about having autism. Um, I've never been tested for it. Um, but I have asked two therapists if they think that I have autism, both of them say no. Um, so, but I I guess I don't, but I certainly have autistic traits. Um, so yeah, I don't really care. I'm I'm curious about it, but like I'm I don't think I'm ever gonna like actually get tested for it because it'll probably just come back as not autistic. Maybe, and if it does come not. back as autistic, I'm like, okay, yay! Now I can use that as an excuse for being weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, so Sorry. yeah, that's yeah. right. I don't. I that's that's why I was wary of bringing up the the categories themselves because they are there's always a temptation to use that as a shield to work on ourselves yeah. and to be honest and then, with ourselves and to develop. Yeah. And then the autoandrophilia thing, I think there might've been a touch of that for sure. Um, I certainly wouldn't have, um, cause I think even when I was trans, I was paying, I was paying attention to the autogynophilia, autoandrophilia, um, discussion. And, like, obviously, I didn't think that I was an autoandrophile because it's not like it's not like I would, you know, put on men's clothing and just like get aroused. Like that didn't happen ever. Um, it wasn't really a sexual thing, but it was confusing uh, because. I really liked myself. Like I really thought that I was so sexy. It was just like vanity was just a really, really big part of it. Hmm. Uh, It's not like I was like, I wasn't attracted to myself. Like I can't really fathom that, but But you were embodying what you were attracted to. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think being on testosterone also made me attracted to more feminine men. Um, cause when I went off of testosterone, um, I found myself being attracted to masculinity much more. Um, and just guys who were, um, bigger than taller than me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it was confusing. It was strange. Yeah. Um, so I think that autoandrophilia, however, you know, you want to define that because there's not really like a clean, you know, definition of what that experience is like. 
probably played a part in it because vanity was a huge part in it. So I think that could be considered autoandrophilic. Um, but I just, I don't know. I only know of one female detransitioner who has talked openly about autoandrophilia. Um, and I think the experience is pretty similar hmm. to what I went through with it. Yeah. I, you brought up a, another categorization system, which I favor myself more than the clinical or the sexologist um, definitions or the psychological or clinical definitions. You said vanity, uh, pride, selfishness, like these deeper spiritual values that they transcend identity. They're human characteristics. They're things that if you are aware of and you're working on or are wary of, then you can actually have a sense of, or you can put yourself on the path of becoming a wise person or a wise woman. Not The path of transition is I'm going to become a um, boy, or I'm going to become a girl, or I'm going to become a man, or I'm going to become a woman. The path of spiritual wisdom is I'm going to try to become, well, a man is what I am. Woman was what I am. I'm going to try to be a good woman. I'm going to try to be yes. a good man. Yeah, those categories. I mean, I, when did you first, were those kind of always a part of your lexicon? And how did they help you with, you know, the, trying to figure out how to be in the world? Um, to be in the I mean, yeah, like when I was transitioning, it was fully about me and it was at the expense of other people. Like my immediate family, they were really, really hurt by what I did. And it's not that I didn't care, but I was like, I have to do this or else I'll, you know, kill myself or so I thought. Um, but when you get rid of that. And also I was just, I really was a very selfish person my senior year of high school. Probably that's probably like the worst version of myself, hmm. morally at least. Um, I wasn't good to my friends. I mean, outside of the gender thing, like wasn't good to my friends, wasn't good to my family, you know. Um, and then I guess when I went towards the path of marriage um, and also just becoming more acquainted with like Christian values and understanding that selfishness is the root of all sin. Um, then I was like, okay, I have to take this challenge and try to transcend my selfish my selfishness as best as I can, and practice charity and just be as loving as I can and sacrificial because you're about to get married and marriage is um, a very sacrificial thing that involves a lot of compromise and. Um, and especially when you have a child, like there's a ton of self-sacrificing that 
you know, just so many moments every single day. Um, and so it was a combination of the drastic lifestyle change with marriage and also desiring to be a religious person, um, be a Christian. So I just became convinced that like, this is a better way to live. This is how I'm going to not be aimless. This is how I'm going to, um, stop being miserable. And like, sometimes I do still feel miserable, but it's not because of, it's not because I'm a Christian and it's not because I detransitioned. It's not because I got married. It's not because I'm a mother. Like it's because I have a difficult psychology. <laughs> so there's two big questions I want to ask. Uh, one is about what you've learned about being a woman since desisting and being a mother. And the other is your transition from not religious to evangelical to not religious to Catholic. Right. Uh, and I wonder how the psychology of evangelicalism or how evangelicalism interacted with your psychology versus Catholicism and like what, what it brought out, what those two kind of systems of belief bring out in you and why you prefer Catholicism or why you ended up gravitating towards that. Yeah. So for the first question, um, what I've learned about being a woman, it's a hard question. I mean, I, I have surprisingly fallen very, very easily into that, into the role of, um, homemaker and wife not saying being uh being a mother is easy it's not easy obviously like no one will tell you that it's easy but um i there are just a lot of differences between me and my husband that um make it clear how uh female i am and i know here i'm i have the binary thinking thing going on but that's just how i see the world you know so um but i you know the whole like traditional wife thing i would consider myself that not an instagram trad wife like i'm not yeah wearing dresses every day and like doing a full face of makeup and just trying to be as feminine as I possibly can be and as soft as I can be. Um, but, you know, I really love being at home and I really love trying to make my spaces beautiful. It's very fulfilling to, um, you know, just beautify what I can and, um, I think just it's always been kind it, not just that, but just the way that I like want to be treated as a woman by a man. I mean, even when I was trans and dating other men, like I very clearly took on a more 
feminine role in the relationship. Like I wanted the guy to, you know, make the first move and, um, be more like in charge of things. And, um, so, and I used to be insecure about that instinct, but now I can just be free with it because mm. that's just how it naturally falls. And like, obviously I'm not saying that this is what womanhood is. Um, I think womanhood is just being a woman. Um, and there, I do believe that there are many ways to be a woman. Like, I'm not saying that every woman has to have the same like personality. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, the thing that's taught me the most about womanhood though, is motherhood and also just like being pregnant and giving birth because that really is the most feminine thing that you can do. Um, is it, is and, it possible to ask or for you to, to answer what being pregnant was like? Um, Cause it's kind of weird to me that you have a human being growing inside of you. I'm not predisposed to that biologically, but even mentally, it's hard to get my head around. It's very weird. I mean, well, the thing that reminds me is that I can feel movement all like strong movements at this point. I'm 36 weeks pregnant. So like I'm very close to giving birth and, um, wow. this is, it's now become very real to me that like, I am actually carrying a newborn baby inside my body. Like if, if, if it was born right now, it'd be a newborn baby, you know, like a full, maybe a little small, maybe like a little smaller, but, um, I guess it makes a little bit more sense to me now because I remember being pregnant with Gabriel and just like when he was a newborn, just like holding him and feeling like he was still connected to my body in a way. Like he just, it really did just feel like he's gone from my stomach to my arms. He was even like, his movements were similar to the movements in utero. And so now I can, I can wrap my head around it a little bit more. Um, but it's still like, yeah, it, it is still weird and hard to, uh, wrap your head around. So, but there's this, there's this Bible verse, I think, and I'm going to butcher it, but, um, in your womb, I knew thee. Yeah. So as a, I think it's, I think that's first, I think that's in Jeremiah one, um, beautiful chapter. I should reread that, but it was like, I think it's actually, it actually says before you were conceived, I knew you. Yeah. Um, which just, I think goes to show like, like you, we can't, we can't understand that. We can't understand. Like if, if I, like, I wouldn't say that, like, once I found out I was pregnant, I would not say that I loved my child yet, you know, like 
some people do say that like the second I found out that I was pregnant, I was just in love. Um, I don't relate to that at all, really. Um, <laughs> but to think about like how much God must love us if he knew us better than we know ourselves before we were even conceived and just the, I don't know, the infinite love that God has for us. But yeah, that's a beautiful chapter. I should, I should spend more time in the old Testament, I think. Um, and you get to, you get to participate in that love in that witnessing through your relationship to your child. The child is in you and you know them as movement and maybe you start to develop some sort of feelings for them. Then they're outside of the outside of you. They start yeah. to have a sound to them, a smell to them, a, a look to them. And then as they develop, they have more and more attitudes and you get to participate in knowing someone from the first. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, like I get to see their personality form before my eyes. Um, and I feel like I'm just now starting to see that with Gabriel. He's 16 months old. And I can like, I'm starting to see his personality like more and more. He's more than just a baby. Like he, he has a sense of humor. Like he's starting to like be silly and just, um, I know what bothers him. Sometimes I don't understand why it bothers him, but like, <laughs> I know what bothers him. And, um, yeah, even though I'm, I'm really nervous about having two under two, I'm very excited to have, um, a little baby again. Cause huh. yeah, that's, I like the newborn phase and except for the lack of sleep, um, but other than that, I really like the newborn phase because it's really, it's not, it's not like the stuff you're doing is hard. You're just, you're feeding them, you're changing them and then they sleep and it's just, it's repetitive. It's just that over and over and over again until that slowly forms into more of a routine where like you can take a shower and you can do the things that you need to do while also taking care of this little infant who is you know, totally, totally dependent on you. That's a new type of love too. The having some uh, human be completely biologically dependent on you in utero and out of utero. <laughs> Even Gabriel now, it's like 
he, I have to, you know, he can't make his own snacks. Like he can't go to the fridge and like get a snack. He can't go and get a cup of water. He can't even drink from an open cup. He can't use the toilet. Like he, he's still very much a baby. So, um, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, this is interesting though. Um, when Gabriel was born, I kind of expected my husband to be a little bit more nurturing. He's, he is nurturing. Um, but I expected him to be almost as nurturing as I was going to be because he is, he just has a very sensitive soul and, um, I'm really excited for him to be a girl dad because I think he would be an absolutely perfect father to a daughter just in how understanding and gentle he is. But so because of that, I guess you could maybe say those are feminine traits, but no, not really. I mean, I just, I thought that he would be a little bit more motherly, but right when Gabriel was born, he wrote an entire novel. Like he just got to work. Like he just became very, very ambitious. Okay. Um, huh. And I was like, how can you think about literally anything else? Like, how are you writing right now? <laughs> um, so that was just interesting. I don't know if that'll happen again. Um, but it was just, and maybe it was just a coincidence, but it was like right when his kid is born, he like starts working on something yeah. um, and has a lot of ambition and motivation um, to, you know, publish something and put something out there. Um, yeah. It's almost like he, he's, uh, it's like, Oh, I, I need a, I need a legacy. If I have a, yeah. if I have a son, I have to have a legacy to give him maybe. Yeah. Or maybe he just had a lot of time on his hands because he was, um, on paternity leave and was just, you know, there could be many things. Me, I didn't leave the house for like two months. Yeah. I just was like, yeah, the first two months were kind of a, are kind of a blur for me. Um, I just remember being really anxious and really, really in love and, um, Everyone was like, you should bring the baby to a restaurant. You should bring, you should bring the baby, you know, to this and that. I'm like, no, he's going to get sick and he's going to die. Like I was so scared. Oh. Um, hmm. But yeah. So to answer the other question about my religious experience, I, I'm not good at articulating this, I will say. Um, so might be a lot of pauses. I, I was brought up evangelical, um, non-denomin, I went to a non-denominational like Protestant church and up until seventh grade, like I knew who Jesus was. I knew that he loved me. I knew that he died for me. I knew that he died for everyone. Um, I didn't know anything else really. Um, and so I was like, I just loved him back um, because, and I also, I also just, I, I thought that everyone believed in God for a long time. 
So it was just, it was just true to me um, in every way. And I just, you know, I would pray and I would feel comfort and I would look at my cross and I would feel comfort. And then I learned about hell and um, who goes to hell. And it's basically anyone who is not Christian. Uh, and my dad is agnostic and always has been. So I was like, wait, one second. This is just, you know, there's no baggage to this. And now my dad is going to burn in hell forever for all eternity. Mm. Um, and then I was also just, I became worried about myself going to hell because seventh grade is when I started like questioning my, you know, wondering if maybe I was bisexual um, and, you know, just like, I thought I was going to go to hell for like saying bad words, things like that. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, in eighth grade, when I was more of a cynical person, I basically was just like, you know what, this doesn't actually make any sense. Like, this isn't logical. This isn't scientific. Like, there's no sky daddy. So I'm just going to stop believing in this so that I can not worry about hell. And then I was just atheist agnostic for like eight years. Didn't think about it at all. Wasn't concerned with the question. Wasn't concerned about anything spiritual. Uh, and then, well, I was always kind of open to the idea of the supernatural, but I didn't ask myself about Christianity at all during that time. And then whenever I was like 19, uh, I started listening to Jordan Peterson a lot. And that got me thinking about the big questions. Is God real? If so, which God is real? Like, what does that mean? What if Christ really did resurrect from the dead? What would that mean? Should I act as though God exists? And I just kind of became, I had very obsessive thought patterns over these questions for um, a period of like, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks, but that sounds like a short amount of time, but it was literally, I kind of realized like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking about this for 10 hours straight. Like I've been thinking about this and going about my life for days now. I cannot stop thinking about it. And so then I thought maybe I should, maybe instead of just going to the internet like I usually do, maybe I should go to church. And I was still trans at this time. So I had no intention of becoming a Christian. But for some reason... I wanted to go to church and I didn't really know what my aim was with that, but I wanted to go. I wanted to meet other Christians, different types of Christians. Um, so I would basically go to a different church every Sunday and try to get a sense of what their 
of what their definition of God was. Uh, but again, I had no intent of actually becoming a Christian at this time because um, I was just nervous about being a trans Christian. And I just had a, I had a hard time reconciling those two things. Um, and just briefly, why? Because, uh, yeah, um, why would it be wrong according to Christianity that you were a trans man? Um, well, I just knew I wasn't going to like be accepted for it. Like I knew that because I didn't, I, I didn't want to go to a progressive church because their version of God is just like, it's just their version. Like it's barely Christianity. Um, it's just like very far off from what the Bible says. And I was trying to be, eventually I was trying to be like a sola scriptura Christian. Um, What's that? Uh, sola scriptura basically um, is a Christian who gets all of their beliefs from scripture alone and not from tradition or what some like a bishop says or a council says you have to get it from scripture alone um it's kind of yeah so that's what i was trying to be at uh at a certain point but i don't know i think it was more that progressive tr christianity that is affirming didn't make sense to me. And it wasn't necessarily the, the affirming part that didn't make sense to me. It was that they just had no, like, it just felt more like a universalist or, you know, just um, like a hippie conference. I don't know. It was just, it never resonated with me. Um, and so I was going to more neutral to conservative churches, I knew what they believed about transgenderism, or at least I could assume. And so I couldn't really get too involved in those churches because I was very worried about people finding out the truth about me. <laughs> um, and, you know, now I've come to believe that, um, you should probably just stay the gender that you are. Um, be, like that's probably what God wants you to do. God probably doesn't want you to cut off the breasts that he gave you or uh, try to tamper with that. I I think I just had a more, like more of a sense of um, sacredness around my body. Like I just, when I started to feel regret I, part of that um, regret for what I had done to my body was just like, you know, you were given a perfectly healthy female body and you had breasts and you had a voice and now you don't because of surgery and synthetic hormones like does that it just all of a sudden obviously i knew i was doing these things i did these things knowingly i consented to these things 
But now all of a sudden that I'm thinking about God, thinking that I might believe in God, I realized that I actually had no right to modify my body in, to this extent. Like, obviously, dyeing your hair is mm, different. Or working out. Um, or Yeah, yeah. Makeup. Yes. Adornment. Those are, those are different things. Um, but also just the trans thing was so caught up in this identity thing. And it was something that I like kind of worshipped in a way. And I realized how religious the thinking is. I was like, this is like, this isn't good. Like this isn't healthy. I don't think that this is what God wanted me to do. Um, so then kind of moving forward a little bit, I, in May of 2020, in the, in the middle of the lockdown, I decided I don't want to take my testosterone shot this week. I had been dealing with regret for like a year and a half. And I basically decided in that moment that I was going to detransition and I didn't know what that was going to look like. Um, sorry. Um, and then kind of the becoming a Christian did sort of happen at the same time as the detransitioning because I no longer had to struggle to reconcile the transness with that. And, you know, maybe this wasn't the right way of thinking about it. Obviously, I could have wholeheartedly sought God and still, you know, still had a trans identity. And, you know, the results still would have turned out that I would have detransitioned. I was going to detransition no matter what, but... Um, I guess I just felt like the baggage that was between me and God had been cleared away <laughs> and now I could actually really open myself up to him and to scripture. Um, and so I was like going into my closet every day and reading scripture and praying um, and having a very, having very profound and just heart-rending experiences doing so. And yeah, that was, at that point, I just, I really... I guess I'm trying to not say I fell in love with Jesus because it sounds so corny, but I don't care. Like that's what happened. Um, and I just like desperately wanted to, uh, please God and serve God. And that was when I was like, okay, now that I'm not, like so focused on the trans thing and I don't have to think about my gender 24 seven anymore. Like now I can be good. And I know a lot of people will 
find that language problematic. I'm just saying that's my experience. And uh, hmm. let me just say that being a Christian has not made my life worse in any way. Uh, it's made certain things harder, but things that are hard aren't necessarily bad, which people don't understand. But um, then, so I'm an easily discouraged person. So after about eight months of going to the church that I grew up with, which was just this denominational or non-denominational church. Um, we tried getting involved. Uh, my husband wrote like a really um, earnest email to the person who is literally in charge of getting people plugged in and involved in, in the small groups. Um, he wrote this email about how like, we're new Christians. We're absolutely like, we need, we really want fellowship and to meet people. We're so like stunned and in awe of God. Like this is all very, it was extremely new to him because he was raised like as a secular Jew. Um, and then that email, like they never even emailed us back. So, and then the sermons were just like, so they were like Ted talks. I don't know. They just I was like, something's not right. We get a concert. There's no formal liturgy. There's no ritual. Communion is just like this silly little symbol to them, which I know that it's deeper than that in some denominations like Catholicism. Um, but I still wasn't considering Catholicism because I was just like, well, I'm not that. Like my family's not Catholic. I don't know anything about that. Um, I don't know how to like, that just seemed like an entirely new framework. Um, and it kind of is in some ways, but you know, you have the rest of your life to uh, experience sanctification and to uh, learn more about it. Cause Catholicism is just so, so, so rich and deep and you could spend the rest of your life studying it and still not know everything about it. Um, but I, I became very discouraged because eventually I stopped praying. I stopped wanting to pray. I stopped caring about my behavior. Um, I stopped caring about putting in the energy of trying to figure out what is, what, what should I be doing? Like, oh, I got drunk last night. Is that like, should I repent for that? Should I do it again? I can't want to do it again. I'll just do it again. Um, <laughs> and, um, I just kind of lost the fire that was there initially. And I was also, I also had a very Calvinist way of like view of salvation, which was basically, um, that God has predestined who will go to heaven and who will go to hell. And it's true that God knows who will go to heaven and who will go to hell, but it's not like anyone is irreparably like it's complicated. He doesn't <laughs> send people. He doesn't condemn people to hell. He just, he is omnipotent. So he know, like he knows, I don't know. It's really complicated, but, um, my view 
which was the wrong view, was basically that I was just not part of the elect, that I didn't have free will, that I was just damned and I'm going to hell because and there's nothing I can do about it because I like sinning and I don't want to not sin and I'm not disgusted and ashamed of my sin and I don't like you know I was listening I had a lot of voices in my head telling me uh that if you don't if you're not praying regularly if you're not in scripture regularly then are you even a Christian? Are you even saved? And I was, I guess I came to a point where I was like, eh, guess I'm not like, hmm. and then I fell off again and was like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. My husband still wanted to talk about it. He was kind of sad that I, um, basically denounced it. I didn't denounce it. I was like, I know that being a Christian is a better way to live, but I can't stake my life on this belief anymore. So I can't call myself a Christian. Um, and I just didn't want to talk about it anymore because I was bummed about it. Like I felt like I failed or that, I don't know, that I just wasn't the type of person to be a devout Christian. Um, and then I was, so fast forward, I'm eight months pregnant with Gabriel and I'm kind of still in the same place of like, I know that being a Christian is good. I know that it, like, it's better to be a Christian than to not be one, but I don't really have any belief. I feel like belief is not really a choice. I can't just choose to believe. But what about my son? Like, do I want to raise him with just nothing? I would like to raise him being aware of Christianity and, you know, going to church regularly. I think that's good. I think that's good for children. And so I told Jason, I was like, I want to go to church again. And he was like, okay. Uh, and we decided to go to an Episcopalian church which I don't know what you know about Episcopalian, but basically it's technically a Protestant denomination, but they do almost all of the same rituals as that, that Catholics do. Their, their liturgy is the same. They, um, they just have slightly different beliefs and they don't, uh, they're not connected to Rome. They're not connected to the papacy. Um, so it's kind of like an Americanized like denomination that dresses up as Catholic, but isn't Catholic. So I had always wanted to go to a church like that, but a lot of Episcopal churches are very, very woke and very progressive so i found one that was not obviously like crazy out there um but i remember going there and i was like i'm having a good experience here i really like the people here 
And there were even some sermons that were given that I found to be very moving and I found the liturgy to be very moving. And, but I had a lot of questions. Um, and it made me more curious about Catholicism because I was like, what if Catholicism is the real thing? So we would always recite the Nicene Creed after the homily. And towards the end of the Nicene Creed, it states, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Um, and the reason why the Episcopal Church states that in their creed is that Catholic means universal. Yeah. You're basically saying, I believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. It's lower C Catholic. Um, so, but it still, it made me wonder, like, when I would say that, because there were some times where I didn't want to recite the creed at all because I was just, like, in a bad place, and I was in a cynical place, and I was like, I don't believe this. And there were times where I felt like I, I could say the creed and mean it. Um, but with it being so similar to Catholicism, but also I was like, this probably has more um, culturally progressive views on certain things. I just decided to talk to the pastor about it and ask him all of the questions I had, like, what do you believe about the Eucharist and what do you believe about Mary? What do you um, believe about abortion? Because I was pro-life before I even detransitioned. So, you know, I wasn't going like, to go to a church that was pro-choice. I just, to me, that's just, that just doesn't make, that just doesn't make sense. Um, but, and also, so, when Gabriel was about four months old, because we went to this church for about five months. Um, when he was four months old, we were starting to get close to the point where he would maybe be baptized. And we were talking about if we want to baptize him at St. Andrew's, the Episcopal Church. And I was like, I think I, I want to, like, I wanted a Catholic wedding. I wanted, even though I like wasn't Catholic, I have always felt like a pull towards that. And whenever I go to a Catholic wedding or a Catholic funeral, I get this, like, this feeling of like, I wish, I wish I was Catholic, but I always just chalked it up to like, you're just being shallow because you like the stained glass windows and the big, the big statues and stuff. You're just being, you're focusing too much on aesthetics. Um, but the aesthetics reflect the richness of the theology that I was intimidated by. Um, so yeah, one day we were talking about that and eventually Jason said, we should become, maybe we should just become Catholic. And we were out on a date. We were like, we had a couple drinks and like, you know, we weren't really, it wasn't like the most serious conversation. Um, so I was like, 
my reaction surprised me. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been like waiting for you to say that. Um, I've had this feeling that Catholicism is the real thing and I want to know more about it. But I also worry that I might get too excited and, you know, dive headfirst into it and not look back like I usually usually do with these things. Um, and then like the next day or two days later, I had already um, started learning about as many saints as I possibly could because I thought that was how you catechize, you catechize yourself as you just learn about the saints and try to memorize all the feast days. You don't have to memorize the feast days. You don't have to know every saint, but, um, you know, I just started researching about the faith and, uh, you know, it, some of it resonated with me. Not all of it did. Some of it was like, you know, like with the, the Mary stuff, it was definitely strange to me. Uh, but I was like, I want to, I want to do this anyway. Um, I think that Catholicism, it's, it's a mark on your soul when you get baptized. So there's no questioning of like, if you're really saved or not with Protestantism, there are thousands of different denominations and they all have slightly varying opinions on salvation and um, just little minute issues and like, and some really big issues. And it just became very exhausting. Uh, I was like, I don't know. Like I read my Bible and some of it is clear some of it is clear to me. Some of it just leaves me with more questions. I have to interpret this somehow. You know, I have to put my own interpretation on it or listen to someone else's interpretation. And I'm still deciding for myself whether or not I think that's true. And everyone, you know, believes that their version is correct. And it's just, there's no truth. There's no truth. And the Catholic Church offers that. Um, and so like with the birth control thing, that's um, that's something that there's a lot of debate among Protestants whether or not birth control is bad or, you know, if all forms are bad or... You know, there's a bunch of different opinions. Most Protestants will just tell you like, oh, it's up to your own conviction. So if you feel convicted about it, then don't do it. It's like, yeah, that doesn't really, that's not really how it works. If you're Catholic, there's, <laughs> there's dogma, there's doctrine, um, there's categories of, there's a lot of categories. There's mm -hmm. categories of sin. Um, the Catholic church really values clarity as it should, because it's your salvation that's at hand. You don't want to be wrong about that. So my, I really, I struggle with the birth control thing because of the way my body works. It works differently than other women. There are caveats, you know, you don't, 
it's not like Catholics just believe you, you need to have as many kids as possible, but you can't do anything that stops conception from happening. Like sex needs to be open to life. And it also like, it serves two purposes. It, it's to create life and to bond with your partner. And in order to have a full experience of sexuality, um, a full and right experience, both of those things need to happen. You can't withhold your fertility from your partner. Um, but anyway, hmm. I really appreciate the clarity that the Catholic Church offers, whether or not I um, want to agree with everything. Uh, I still have uh, the boundaries in my head. And I think that because of the fall and because we are because we inherited original sin we we need boundaries and uh those boundaries need to be clear and there's no there's actually i i don't feel nearly as much guilt as i did when i was trying to be protestant people talk about Catholic guilt all the time. It's definitely a thing. Um, but, you know, a common critique that Protestants have towards Catholicism is that it's, it, it's based on works and you have, it's puts a lot of pressure and it's on the person, you know, they have to do all these sacraments to maintain their salvation. They have to go to confession. They have to receive the Eucharist. It's like, have to like i love doing those things like i am so grateful for those things um and but like with protestants with protestantism it's like they seem to have a simple theology of like oh you just have to you just have to believe in jesus that's it um but they don't actually believe that they also believe that you need to behave a certain way and do certain things in order to maintain your salvation. And they put it, they put it on you too. You know, like I said, they'll say like, not all of them, but some of them will say things like, well, if you're going out and partying or if you're dressing immodestly, or if you're um, living in an active LGBT, if you're actively disobedient to God, then you are not a Christian. Like, I do. I was just so shocked and put off by how liberally uh, some Protestants are willing to like condemn you <laughs> as if they're God, as if they know. Hmm. Um, but with Catholicism, I have not felt that. Um, I have not felt worried about my salvation at all, and I just, I just, I'm, I'm always going to be Catholic. Even if there's a point in my life where I'm like, I don't believe this anymore, I'm still Catholic. Hmm. So, yeah, that's that's where I'm at now. Um, and again, it hasn't been 
easy. It's something I'm always aware of that I want to, you know, try to be a better Catholic um, and try to not give in to my vices like my phone and, um, you know, the practice of fasting is really important, which I like never do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, just like, it's a simple thing. It's like, oh, I kind of want a muffin right now. And there's no reason why I shouldn't have one. But what if I just like didn't? What if I just stayed hungry for God? as like a sacrifice. Hmm. Um, and I'm like, that's, a, that's like a that's a spiritually significant thing to do <laughs> when we're so used to just like pleasuring ourselves all day long and just making sure we're as comfortable and experiencing as much pleasure as we can hmm. um, to just kind of deny ourselves something like a muffin or um, something that if there's something that you feel like you can't live without, you should try giving it up. That's a big philosophy, not just in Catholicism, but in Christian living as well. Um, and it's like, it's challenging. I don't know why, I don't know why I just decided uh, whenever I detransition, like I'm just going to purposefully make my life harder. <laughs> but, you know, it's, 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 it gives, it gives my life meaning. It gives your, it gives life meaning. I really just, when Jordan, Pe when I first heard Jordan Peterson say that, that the more, the, the more, uh, I don't even know how he said it, but the more crosses you bear, the more meaning your life will have. That really changed everything for me. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time for me to actually live that out, but yeah. So I guess I I listened to the call, the pull, the natural pull that I felt towards Christianity and paired it with that mindset. And that's why I'm Catholic. I was speaking with a um with Callie who runs a lot of groups for specifically for parents of transition or trans identified males, you know, their sons decide to transition mm -hmm. and they're, they're dealing with that. And you said earlier in this talk that you would hurt that transition, hurt your parents mm -hmm. or hurt your family. And in the interview with Callie, uh, it was interpreted by one commenter that I didn't know what I was, that I'm obviously not a parent to even ask this question of why it would hurt for your child to transition. But I think it's so very important to understand the point of view of a mother who's given birth to a son or a daughter and given of themselves, literally, physically, their time, their thought, and then can allow that child to go into the world. And the child says, the child starts to deny their body. Like the very, there's got to be a very yeah. visceral uh, stimulus or, or experience of, of the mother related to that body 
the, the, that body came from your body. And so I, I, I asked that question of Callie to, to try to evoke the depth of that connection to the body, to the genitals, the genitals tie you or what tie your, your mother to your children, right? Like they, they are, they are the, the needle through which the human tapestry perpetuates itself. Right. So I'm wondering about your connection to Gabriel and if that has helped you to understand your yeah. parents' relationship to you and to why they would be hurt by you transitioning. Yeah. I mean, I, I understood why it was hard for them to, you know, try to change their idea of who I like it's, but it's not like, the, yes, they, they named. Yeah, it's not just, it's not just your identity. It's not just yeah. calling you a it's pronoun. Not, yeah. Right? But it's still, you know, even with that, it's like, they gave me my name and for me to change it to a male name and to say like, I'm not who I am, you know, all my mom could come back to me and say was basically, I know that this isn't right for you, but I was 17 and I was like, you don't even know me, mom. I know me better than you do. You don't understand me at all. Like that is just, that is just how you feel at 17. Um, so yeah, I think that actually the way you articulated it is really, uh, really perfect. Cause like, it's not that I need Gabriel to be as boyish as possible. Like, I don't need him to be anything, um, but he is my son. And I need, I, I, you know, I can't, I can't lose my son. I don't know. I, it just, there must be a real sense of grief and loss, uh, to go through, um, having a child transition and become someone unrecognizable and to have on top of that, the, the distance and tension that happens when you're a parent who is not affirming, um, even though I have an experience of, of transitioning and I have an experience of having a child, I, I can't imagine what that must feel like. Um, I imagine it's hard even for, it was hard even for some of my lifelong friends to see me differently and they were supportive, but I'm sure it was emotionally hard for them, uh, to sit, to, to not see like to not see me as Daisy anymore. And I put so much freaking pressure on them too. It was like, I'm not your I'm not your girlfriend. I've never, I've never been your, you know, sister. Like I've never been that. Never. I was just suppressing this the whole time. And like huh. um yeah. I I feel pretty ashamed of, of how selfish I was, but 
now my mom and I, we have a great relationship. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, and this is not, I don't want to like sound like I'm trash talking my mom's parenting, but I think giving me unrestricted internet access from the time I was like 11 years old was a big mistake. And she couldn't have known that, you know, parents, they didn't fully understand what the repercussions of unrestricted internet access on a young developing mind would look like. But I know that without a doubt, if I was just much more insulated from the internet and like not allowed to have social media till I was like 18, it's very likely that I would not have been trans. That's how big I think social media played a role in it. So, but my mom, like she did what she could with the resources that she had. There were no detransitioners at that point. I mean, not, not very many 2015, everyone was just getting started with their transition. So yeah. What do you think you would have done differently? Um, or not that, um, but going back and, and thinking about yourself during these phases of your life, what kind of help do you think you would have responded to if you could go back and counsel yourself as a teenager? It's hard to say because I feel like I would say all of the same things that my parents told me, which is that... Uh, you'll grow out of this. I mean, I don't even think they said that because they knew I wouldn't respond well to that. But that is what happened. I just, I think one of the things that my dad said that kind of stuck with me was basically just that the periods of being 18 to 25 or 23 or something like that that time in your life, you will change more than any other time in your life. That is the most psychologically turbulent time that you will have. And you will change profoundly as a person. And, you know, I thought about that and... um. At the end of the day, I just put the trans thing over everything. That was the problem, really. So I don't know. I'd probably just try to convince myself that it was just an illusion and not real. <laughs> and I would try my best to um, try to get myself to see the absurdity of it because I eventually slowly did. Um, so I think I probably, there's a chance that I could have, that someone could have articulated that to me in a way that was convincing enough to at least give me pause. Um, and also I would have, uh, 
I would have taken my computer away and my phone away and sent myself to um, a horse camp where I just did manual labor for six months, like the like the troubled kids on the places where the troubled kids on Dr. Phil go, you know, um, I think that probably would have been beneficial to stop spending so much time on the internet and actually doing stuff and thinking about other things besides myself and stop navel gazing and to, you know, shovel some horse poop. Well, you're basically doing that now and you're about to do it again with these children. Yeah. Just yeah. Labor. Labor, 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 labor. Yeah. It is labor, but I still have that phone addiction. Oh yeah. It's the bane of my existence. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I'm sure there are issues with it, but I'm sure it's also, it's still a tool that connects you. And yeah, that's why it's so hard to give it up. I'm sure that you aren't just a mother. You're still a human with creativity and, and intellect and, and a career ahead of you beyond this phase of your life. So what what do you hope for yourself? Um, or what do you see as uh, your calling um, throughout this process of being, of giving yourself wholly to your family? Um, still a hard question. Still hard for me to have a specific aim, especially when you have young children. Um, I, I hope to make YouTube videos again. Um, and maybe talk more about Catholicism, but who knows what I'll want to do in 10 years. You know, the, the, the D trans to Tradcath pipeline is it's, it, it, it's, it's a burgeoning field for internet influencers. You're, you're right there. This is your moment. You can, you can I know. Totally do it. There's a niche. I know there. my husband, is like, I don't understand why you're not making YouTube videos. Like yeah. <laughs> you should be making YouTube videos. You should be talking about this, but yeah. Uh, you know, I have kind of a toxic relationship to putting out content because I obsessively read comments and, uh, sometimes there, I feel like there's a part of me that like wants to get hate in a weird way. Um, cause it makes so, you feel better or it points to what you can work on or gives you specificity in that way. Um, I don't know. I think I'm just a bit of a masochist. Huh. like an emotional masochist. Um, you want to feel bad. You want a reason to feel bad. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but <sighs> career rise, like, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever work again, to be honest. Um, I mean, I got way too personal in the second interview I did with you where I, talked about my financial situation, but I'll just say I don't have to work ever again. So I don't know if I will. I might. Uh, well, I mean, there's there's a job and then there's the work that um, fulfills you 
fulfills your talents, right? You can't, I mean, I I think that that would be cutting off a body part to say that you're not going to work, you're not going to develop your talent. And mother, without denigrating motherhood as a form of work, that's one part of your life. You don't know what's going to happen in 18 years, 20 years. Well, it depends on how many kids you have. 40 years, keep on just popping them out. Or even when the kids like go to school and become just more independent. Yeah. Um, I'm open to it for sure. Um, Just not, just not at the moment. I'm not really thinking about it. Yeah. Well, what do you want then? I mean, specifically with this, this phone thing, you're using it for something. There's something there. There's some, some sort of development or activity that you're doing. So I'm just curious, I'm just curious what you like. Daisy, like, what do you, what do you like? What, what excites you? What, what do you like to produce, create, think about, consider, respond to? Well, I thought that I felt like my content was getting a little bit more, a a little bit too, um, uh, I don't know. I think I got to a point where I felt like my content was not helping anyone. And I don't think that's actually true now that I say that out loud, but I just, I think it was fueling my narcissism and just Mm. like I was talking about myself too much, but I also was afraid to be um, fully honest and I wasn't scripting it and it just like wasn't very high quality stuff. Um, So. You wanted more intention in in it. Yes. Because my content was uh, like even like even though I disagree with every, like with most of the stuff that I said in the videos I made when I was trans, they were higher quality videos. I was more happy with the content that I was putting out um, because it was more organized and thoughtful. And um, I was engaging in my interests, as you said, so. Yeah, right now that's uh that's the D-trans to Tradcath pipeline and <laughs> Catholicism in general and uh motherhood and parenting and yeah. But when when is your baby due? Your new your next one? January twenty eighth. January twenty eighth, okay. So 25 more days, three weeks. Yeah. Or it could be, it could be five weeks. It could be, could be two weeks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you going into it more prepared do you think than the first one? Um, yes and no. Like I know how to take care of a newborn now. Yeah. Um, and I know what to expect more. Um, but in terms of like being practically compa- uh, prepared, well, there's still a lot of stuff that we need to get. Um, and, you know, I definitely like bought less items. I definitely overbought clothes and all these little things that I thought that I might need. And I ended up using maybe like 20% of them regularly. Um, so I've kind of, not worried about that as much, but now that we're really getting down to the wire, I'm like, oh, we need a double <laughs> stroller. Like we need 
um, probably need another car seat, even though we have two car seats, they're adjusted for Gabriel's size. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. Now I'm kind of just like, I'll survive. She'll survive. It'll be fine. Like, we'll figure it out. I'm more willing to say like, we'll figure it out. Cause I figured it out with the first one and you'll just do what it takes. So Yeah. What 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 surprising twists and turns for you? Um, you mean with Gabriel or? I, no, I guess just like the last, what, 10 years. There's a lot. <laughs> Yeah. um, I think even more surprising than the detransition is just like how quickly I jumped into family life. Like I did not think that I would have kids before age 25. Um, I remember being 14 years old and kind of like I was talking to my dad about like my life plan. <laughs> and I was like, I want to be married at 23 and have my first kid at 25. And my dad was like, that's actually pretty young. Like, and uh, I ended up getting married at 23 and having my first kid at 24. And especially when I was trans, I did not think I would have kids that fast. Um, I didn't even know how or when or if I would have kids, but I thought it would be like, you know, 35, because I thought I was going to go through the whole like IVF or adoption process and um, just wasn't on my radar. But yeah, it just, life just started like coming at me uh, the second that I detransitioned, because immediately after that, I started dating my husband, even though I said that I wasn't going to date anyone while going through this. He was like, I know I, I want to date you actually. And I was like, well, I really like you. So I guess it doesn't make sense to not date you. And then, um, we were engaged 10 months later, married seven months after that, 10 days later, I'm like, it was just the, the sheer speed of everything, um, has been very, uh, exciting but i want to break i want to just be a mom of two for yeah. like three years and then maybe have another um if we even have any control over that <laughs> well thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to yeah, of course. come back and let me and, and my audience catch up with you it's really important i think to to document somebody's life beyond just like their, you know, their, that one moment or that one Yes. topic, you know? Yeah. You got me at the perfect times. You got me when I was evangelical detransitioning, secular detransitioning, trying to find meaning in like the superficial Instagram trad wife aesthetic and mm -hmm. that not fulfilling me and now Catholic. With So. a kid and almost another kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks. I get a bounce now because I have another interview. Okay. But Sounds thank good. you Thank so you much. so much for having me on. Absolutely. It's And always a pleasure. Always a yes, pleasure. I always enjoy talking with you. Best of luck with the next one. What's her Thank name? you. Does she have a name yet?
Um, yeah, Lila. Lila and Gabriel. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. All right. Take Have care. a good day. Take care. Bye.